Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church, advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world, yes, we're the church together. A church is not a building, a church is not a steeple. A church is not a resting place, the church is a people. I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world, yes, we're the church together. We're many kinds of people with many kinds of faces, all colors and all ages too times and places. I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. Oh Jesus, all around the world, yes we're the church together.
Sometimes the church is marching, sometimes it's bravely burning, sometimes, sometimes it's writing, sometimes hiding, always it's learning. I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All around the church, all around the world, yes, we're the church together. And when the people gather, there's singing and there's praying, there's, uh, uh, there's laughing and there's crying, sometimes all of it's saying, I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All who follow Jesus, all around the world, yes, we're the church together. At Pentecost, some people received the Holy Spirit and told their goodness through the word to all who would hear it. I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All who follow Jesus, all around the world, Today's reading is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 13 through chapter 5, verse 1. This reading is taken from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus, and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake, so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made by hands, eternal in the heavens. The word of the Lord. Genius at play, strong mother reading from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I have put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins.
Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I wonder if you saw a Saturday Night Live skit a few months ago when only those 65 and older could be vaccinated. And this skit parodied the phenomenon of a small slice of the U.S. population feeling the freedom that comes from being vaccinated. Did you see this skit? The refrain in the song that ran through the skit was, Boomers got the vax. And though we can't show the clip here, it's not really church appropriate in their copyright issues. It was really funny as it called out this, genera this generation which has, as the skit and the song uh, told us, been running the world since 1945. Well, as a member of the generation called X, myself, which comes just after the boomer generation, it has been a consistent through line in my life to grump about this large and dominating generation that is just before my generation. I confess to sometimes buying into some of the stereotypes that suggest that boomers are self-involved and materialistic, unconcerned about generations that come after them and dismissive of the generations that came before them. But there are stereotypes about Xers, too, those of us born between 1964 and 1982. Supposedly, Xers are suspicious of institutions, especially religious ones, anarchic and nihilistic. We're chronically despairing and depressed. The writer Douglas Copeland, one of my favorite authors, by the way, gets credit for naming my generation in his book of the same title, Generation X. Copeland said that X was the right name for this generation, which has been denied a more descriptive name due to being overshadowed and maligned by the boomers since birth. Interestingly, Copeland also gets credit for the subsequently named Generation Y, which is another name for the millennial generation, those be born between 1983 and 2001. But the millennials early on rejected Y. They didn't want to be too closely tied to uh, Generation X. Uh, this is a generation they said they, they wanted nothing to do with. Um, and then the generation that flows follows the millennials, um, Copeland also gets credit for naming. Um, this, this generation that was born in the dawn of 9-11, 
named Generation Z, which is a name that that generation, our youngest generation, uh, seems is seeming to embrace. The name Generation Z has gained even more staying power uh, this last year for this generation that is 19 and under, as they are now the generation that has experienced a year of their lives in education on Zoom. So do you buy all of that, all of that generational uh, talk? Does it ring true to your experience and what you know? Generational theory was pioneered by Neil Howe and Bill Strauss almost 25 years ago now. Strauss and Howe suggested that persons who share a generation have a distinct worldview. They speak a common language. They're motivated by similar hopes and concerns. Strauss and Howe's thesis is that if we understand what is unique and particular for a generation, we can avoid generation gaps that separate us from each other and lead us into conflict. I think there's some truth in, in the way that, that Strauss and Howe have described each generation. But generational theory is a relatively new thing. And why? Why is that? Well, I believe it is because we, as a human community, desire connection with each other. We desire to connect across all boundaries and across all differences. But many people today do not have enough direct experience with multiple persons of different generations to gain nuanced understandings of how a 17-year-old differs from a 70-year-old intergenerational theory to fill that void. But while this may be a helpful framework, there are limits to using this generational shorthand to understand each other. Too easily drawing too much on supposed generational traits turns to stereotyping. And stereotypes will always lead us away from real relationship rather than toward real relationship. We may have some sense of 17-year-olds or 70-year-olds in general through generational theory, but we won't know how three different 17-year-olds or three different 70-year-olds are still quite unique in their own ways. We won't know the individuals and who they are. But you, you know many 17-year-olds and 7-year-olds and 37-year-olds and 70-year-olds because you are a part of a church. In our world today, the church is one of the few spaces that is truly and authentically intergenerational. It's not a coincidence, but it's also not a given. For the church to be a true reflection of the body of Christ, it has to include all persons, all genders, all races, and all ages. This special space gives us the blessing of relationship across generations and the insight, wisdom, and perspective and brilliance of being able to hear from and grow in understanding with those who have lived a distinct and different era of history. In our scripture today from 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our, our, our outer nature is declining, our inner nature is being renewed 
day by day. Paul is considered the master church planter. He started churches all over the Greco-Roman world. He knew then, as we know now, that a place to gather, whether it be temporary or more solid in nature, is an important touchstone for a community of faith. Not out of some sense of materialism or insecurity, but as a place that could serve as a handrail of faith through generations. This is an important reflection for us as we prepare to come back here into our own church building at 1953 Hopkins Street in Berkeley. We know now, perhaps more than ever, that the church does not need a building to be a church. We've been worshiping online for over a year. We've been delivering meals. We've been walking for hunger. We've been advocating for racial justice. We've been growing in our faith. We've been studying the Bible. We've been accompanying refugee families, observing Advent and Christmas and Epiphany and Lent and Easter, all without a building. We have a solid and beautiful church home here. And as excited as I am to return and repopulate this space with our prayers and our people, our songs and our sighs, Paul reminds us that it is all temporary. Our church building in the great scheme of history is temporary. Even the ancient city of Corinth, while a, a fascinating archaeological site now, does not have a thriving Christian community worshiping out of an original structure. Paul says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And yet, though we can't visit the church in Corinth, we are connected to it. We know its story. And how is that? How, how do we know the story of this church that no longer exists in a material way? If we are separated by 2,000 years and 7,000 miles, how are we connected? Because each group of 17-year-olds grew up to be 70-year-olds. That's how. Each group of 17-year-olds that grew up to be 70-year-olds then passed the baton of faith to another group of 17-year-olds. And all of the ages in between. What is so amazing about the church is that we aren't just one of the few intergenerational institutions at this moment in history. We are intergenerational throughout history. The handrail of faith reaches back eons and reaches forward beyond our sight. It's through being part of a faith community that we can see there is truth and there is untruth in what we think about each generation. It is through being part of a faith community that now, while the majority of us have joined the boomers and are now vaccinated, we can be reminded still by those under 12 in our community how it felt to be unvaccinated in an area that is opening up very quickly and very widely. We're reminded because we're in relationship still with those who are waiting 
on being vaccinated. And we're in relationship with those who, for a variety of reasons, cannot be vaccinated. This is what it means to be a part of a community of faith. And it is certainly through faith that those of us over 40 can hope to one day understand TikTok. And it is certainly through faith that those of us under 40 can be fully assured that whatever we're going through, this too shall pass. As you know, Epworth is now in a time of searching for a new director of youth ministries. We said goodbye to our uh, former director of youth ministries, Orion Lacey, who served well and served wonderfully last Sunday. And now we're in a, in a search, a period of discernment about that role. And often when we think of this position, we think it has to be filled by someone young, someone who can relate to the youth by virtue of being in the same generation or at least an adjacent one. But I can tell you that one of the most influential people in my life was my youth director, Joyce Kokersberger. Joyce began college at the age of 58. Then after graduating college, she entered seminary at the age of 62. It was while she was in seminary that she became our youth director. And at the age of 65, she graduated from seminary and was ordained. Joyce was definitely a different generation than the people she was ministering with, but she was the perfect person. She was up for anything. I remember one summer Sunday night at youth group when we all decided that we needed to meet not just once a week on Sunday nights, but several times a week throughout the summer. Okay, she said, not missing a beat, wisely knowing that either we were going to grow tremendously in our faith and relationship that summer, or we would go uh, and get distracted and go back to our weekly meetings. But either way, it was a win. Either way was okay. She was unfazed when one of our youth was arrested, patiently talking and working with this youth as they served the hours of community service related to their consequence. She had a quick laugh and a depth of joy that was rare for a person of any age. The difference in our ages released us to not need to know everything or be plugged into the coolest trends or conform to generational standards. I know many in this congregation have the experience of Judy and Mary, whose maturity and sense of fun were the perfect combination to lead a generation of youth at Epworth. What a tremendous blessing. The hymn writer Natalie Sleeth writes, In our end is our beginning, in our time infinity. In our doubt there is believing in our life eternity. In our death a resurrection, at the last, a victory, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. Praise God for the blessing of our generations and the blessing of being intergenerational. This is the church. Amen. Jesus.
podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. There's a
hearts be lifted.